Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer at the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber is at Disney Studios in Burbank. His exclusive with Bob Iger is coming up very big, in just very a couple big. of minutes. Meantime, uh, futures pretty resilient here as yields back off a bit and some decent corporate results, especially in consumer. Pepsi, Hilton, MGM, Wynn, Ralph Lauren, Sonos, Tapestry, all higher pre-market. We'll get to all of that. Let's begin, though, with Disney, up sharply in the pre-market after announcing this restructuring, including plans to cut about 7,000 employees uh, and $5.5 billion in costs. Company also posting that quarterly beat, although Disney plus Jim did move to some sub-losses, a lot for David to cover. Oh, Iger. my. I mean, a lot of things that say that Nelson Peltz is wanting, a lot of things my travel trust owns it. We got, I mean, we got accountability of divisions. We got cost structure coming down, which is good because the revenues are up, but they're not making enough money. Uh, we got very, very good clarity, by the way, on uh, what it would take to have even, you know, give back a modest dividend, which is terrific. This was a tour de force uh, conference call and a series of, of amazing moves. Management really matters. Management really, really matters. I thought it was terrific, and my hat is off to Bob Iger. Yep, a lot of uh, price target increases on the street today. Deserving. Uh, somewhere in the, say, 135, yeah. 140 range. Well, I mean, look, this is a company that has iconic company of, uh, Theme parks were jammed anyway, but I think they're going to make uh, a lot. They got off the treadmill, Carl. They don't have to do the darn, hey, how many subs, how many subs? That may be incredible when it comes to trying to figure out what the company's worth. Great quarter. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, we'll talk about ramifications for media at large. Jim, on a day where yesterday, Omnicom Group, uh, all-time all high, right? I mean, well, calls for an ad recession seem a little exaggerated at the I moment. I agree with that. I think that if you have what people want, you have the eyeballs, you're going to get them. So, yeah, let's get rid of that. It's not an ad recession. Some places don't have a lot of good ads. Uh, David, uh, big day. Uh, big day for uh, the stock, the company, and obviously uh, you with him uh, in Burbank. Yeah, uh, certainly so much to get to, of course, and we're very thankful for the opportunity to do that. Um, with Mr. Iger, who'll be sitting down uh, very shortly with us. Uh, you know, it's not just obviously direct to consumer. Uh, you can talk about Avatar if you want to, right? We can talk about the film business. We can talk about the linear cable business, something we have so many times, parks, uh, and on and on from there. And we're going to try and hit all of it, guys. Uh, but obviously, the stock price is certainly a, a positive. It has been since the beginning of the year, as you see, a very strong move uh, higher, as so many others in the sector, to be fair as well, certainly. The likes of Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount have both moved up sharply. But this move has been a significant one and a, certainly a very positive response. Jim, I haven't heard you be this positive on Disney in quite some time. Well, what I've been looking for uh, is better gross margin. We're going to get that. Uh, I've wanted over and over again, David, to get off the treadmill. I'm so tired that it's being valued by this many subs versus that many subs. It was too much like ESPN. We got rid of that. Uh, I have to tell you, though, there's just something lack of a better term, magical about Bob. And on the conference call, you heard the analysts say, wow, he's really given us what we want, which is that each division is going to be accountable. 
the theme park business is always great, but they're going to monetize Fox uh, much better. David, it's hard to believe, but if you look at the checklist, for instance, of, of, of what an activist Nelson Peltz wanted, this actually exceeds what he wanted. I think it's just really good. Maybe put that one whole. If I were Nelson, okay, David, I would declare victory mm-hmm. and say thank you, Bob, and move on. Or at least just enjoy the ride because it's terrific. No, listen, you're right. Uh, Peltz has already enjoyed the ride to the extent that he bought stocks some time ago, obviously lower. He's a winner right now in terms of how it matters, right? Uh, generating oh, returns yeah. for his fund holders. Um, I would bet and, he's like and they, and they are sort of checking. They are checking the list, so to speak. So it is interesting. Exactly. We haven't really heard from him in particular other than that one statement that said he's glad they're listening. Well, David, I think you have so much to talk about. And there are things that, frankly, no one really understood. Look, like that one kind of major domo guy between Chapek, that seemed to make it so that you never knew who was uh, doing well. And the lack of accountability, I think, was partly responsible for the 1.5. It's, it's almost difficult to $1.5 billion miss. $1.5 billion miss? Yeah. I don't know. That's a miss. It defines miss. Yeah, it does. Um, listen, direct-to-consumer is still losing money, um, but obviously going to be a key question. I, I, I feel like I don't want to talk anymore, guys, because I want to get started here. So don't. I'm going to send it back to you for now. Let you wrap this up, and then we'll get started with Bob momentarily. Fantastic. Uh, very good. Meantime, uh, the uh, uh, backdrop for futures looks pretty good here, as we said, on a series of pretty decent results. Some guides higher from the likes App Lovin, Tapestry, Sonos. The- Ralph Lord was incredible. Uh, people are saying Avi was good, but it shows you how happy everybody is, because I didn't think it was good at all. Salesforce, there's now five activists. Yeah, yes. I mean, how many activists does it take to have a, I mean, it's like a, it's like a riddle. How many activists does it take to have a stock go up? Five. Uh, Win. Win was amazing. Uh, it was just an incredible, incredible coincidence. Love stuff. Love. Oh, we can't wait. And of course, Iger on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber here at uh, the Disney uh, lot uh, and, of course, joined by the aforementioned Bob Iger, uh, the CEO of Disney. Um, It is nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Welcome to Disney. Thank you. Uh, I think it's fair to say that neither one of us could have imagined uh, being here even a couple of months ago. Uh, It's only, what, 14 months since we did your exit interview, Bob. So, you know, I'd love to just start off when you got a call. Maybe it was from Susan Arnold or from the board, and they said, We'd like you to come back. Why did you say yes? 
It was from Susan Arnold. She called me on the Friday before the Sunday that it was announced. Uh, much to my surprise, I was not looking for a job, uh, and I was not anticipating that I would be asked back. Uh, but this is a company that I worked for for almost 50 years. I have huge passion for the company, tremendous respect for the people. And she made it very, very clear that it was a time of need. They had decided to make a change at the CEO level. And I felt that um, I guess I had a sense of obligation. And I also wanted to help them not only transform the company during, I think, a pretty critical time, but I wanted to help them succeed at succession, which is quite important to me, too. You know, you mentioned both of those things, transforming, and obviously we're going to get to a lot of the news that, uh, that came out yesterday after the close. But I've talked to any number of executives in the business um, who think two years isn't enough time for you to do that. That, you know what, you're back. You're going to be here for five. You're going to be here for more than two years. It just, the things you began just yesterday with the announcements that we're obviously going to get into, can't see fruition in two years. How do you respond to that? Well, my plan is to stay here for two years. Uh, that's what my contract says. That was the agreement with the board. Uh, that would be my preference as well. Why your preference? Well, look, I, I'm, I'm going to be 72 years old tomorrow. I've uh, put in almost 50 years. Uh, there are other things in life that I'd like to do. Um, I also I am confident that the board will be able to identify a, an able successor, and I'd love to have an opportunity to help that person be successful. And right now, it would be premature to even speculate. There are no plans right now for me to stay any longer. Um, as it relates to two years and the sense that maybe that's too short a period of time, you can get things done very quickly. You obviously have to know what you want to do and show incredible resolve in terms of accomplishing those things and you know, get buy-in from key people. And I think we've already demonstrated in what has been just over two months since I came back that uh, you can make a, a lot of changes very quickly. Um, you know, I, so your I belief is two years is enough time for you to see through some of the things you announced yesterday, the cost cuts, obviously, the reorganization that has taken place, um, and you know, any number of other efforts that are underway? Well, I, I don't think you should look at it in terms of accomplishing everything in a period of time. It's setting the company up for long-term success and what happens thereafter. So my, my goal is, in talking about a transformation, is to set it on the right course for what could be many years, years beyond my tenure. And that's the goal. Um, I'm curious, when you got that call and then you went to work not long after, um, I went to work. I got the call on Friday. I was working on Monday. On Monday. Yes. Uh, yeah. And not that you had, you know, obviously that was a change for you, a significant one. You were kind of retired. You were busy, I know. I seem to be busy. enjoying a, your life, by the I way. I had a great life. I, I figured out a way to have plenty of stimulation and zero stress. And, and so then uh, you decided to, to take this job? Well, again, it was a sense of obligation. It was, a, it was, you know, the love that I have of this company and the appreciation that it was a time that, um, you know, the board really needed me to come back and, and help them, uh, you know, deal with certain issues that were very important, not just to them, but to shareholders. The company that you found when you did return, was it as expected? Was it worse than you expected? Um, look, I was aware of some of the issues that the company was dealing with. Um, it, it's a challenging time for many companies, particularly given what, you know, the global pandemic and and uh, macroeconomic issues, and of course, as it relates to these, these businesses, all the disruption. 
Um, I would say it was as expected. It was? Yeah. There were, there were I, you know, I watched close, I was, I was close enough in terms of my, my observer status being out to have a sense of what was going on. Yeah, I, I knew. There were no surprises. There were no surprises. No. Um, well, you've moved pretty quickly, though, to change things fairly significantly, haven't you? Yes, because I felt it was essential to do that. Yeah, right Why? away. Why? Well, the the structure of the company that had been changed, um, uh, you know, by my, my my I guess my successor and my predecessor by Bob. Um, and he had a reason why he wanted to do that, and he articulated that. But it, it, it created a, a huge divide between the creative side of the company, the content engines, movies and television, and the monetization and distribution side of the company. And while I think he, again, he had you know, certain maybe valid reasons why he wanted to do that at that time, it was very, very apparent to me, both while I was out and when I came back, that that was a mistake. Uh, that there had to be a direct linkage, that the people making the content had to be fully accountable for how it performed in the marketplace and have some say in how it was brought to market. Timing to market, um, pricing, marketing, very, very important. Um, how much to make, how much to spend. And that uh, distance that was created by that structure, I don't think was healthy for this company um, at this time. And so my first step was to say that I was going to change that. And it took me a couple of months to actually design with the senior team, you know, what we would change it to. And that's what we announced yesterday. Right. Um, that announcement, that reorganization um, and the, what is it? We have four people, right? Yes. Who are, who are, who are four running people, three like key divisions, three key divisions. Mm -hmm. Um, is any one a priority for you over the other? Well, I said yesterday on our call, streaming is a priority. You know, as you look at the businesses that we've been in, both movies and television, put parks aside for a minute, it's very, very clear that the disruptive forces created by technology have had a real impact on those businesses, particularly the legacy part of those businesses. And streaming is the future. It's not the only future, but it, it looms large in terms of the future and eventually will grow to the point where it is not only profitable, but turns into a growth business for the company. So we must make that transition. Look, we've already transitioned to it. Now we have to transition it into a growth business. Yeah. I, you know, you and I obviously sat down together in April of 2019 when you announced the streaming business, Disney+. Yeah. Plus. And I, and I wonder... We had this conversation then, Bob, which is, can you ever fully replace the profitability of the linear cable business with direct-to-consumer? You know, three years in, almost four, it would seem perhaps the answer is no. Well, I don't agree with that. Um, obviously, that has not happened to date. But if you, if you think about it, in the last, since we sat down in 2019, we've seen consumption of television and movies actually increase globally. So if consumption is increasing, we're in the business basically of serving those consumers that want to obviously watch what we make. And streaming is for them, uh, I think a very pro-consumer method or means of doing that. So you've got a consumer base that's growing and avid in terms of its, its interest in what we make. You have a technology that is serving them well and actually serving us well, too. It's, very great. it's a great technology to distribute content on, as we proved. Yes. Like going back for a minute, it's just interesting. When we sat down 
in April of 2019 to talk about the launch of Disney Plus. Our goal was not publicized, but our goal at the time was to sign up 4 million subs in a year. We signed up 10 million subs in 24 hours in one day. I remember. That's an incredibly successful launch, but it speaks volumes about what we're just talking about. People, one, they want our content. Two, they want it that way. So if you have that much demand and we have the ability to essentially serve the consumer well using that technology, then profitability, in my opinion, is inevitable. You have to manage it well. You have to spend appropriately. You have to price appropriately. You have to time it to market appropriately. But it will work. It is working. Look, there's tremendous consumption. You have 104 million subscribers. There's no doubt about that. I wonder, though, going back to that time, um, you know, 6.99. I remember the gasp in the room at the time because the price was so low. Um, Some would say streaming is not a business that's structured with to make money with that low a price, um, given churn. Do you think that you priced it too low to begin with? And that that has been part of the problem, even though you grew subscribers so substantially that ultimately you didn't really give it a chance to become profitable in any near-term time horizon? I I was uh, very focused at the time on achieving three things, and and, and basically by pricing it that low. One was I was convinced that the investment community, the street, would measure us first on how many subs we achieved. I think I was right about that, by the way. Um, I also felt, because Disney is what it is, that accessibility was, I think, an important brand attribute. I wanted, the first time we're putting almost everything that Disney's ever made in one place, let's make it as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. And then I thought about the competitive landscape. I knew that Paramount was, was cooking something up. We knew that your company... NBC Universal was, and Comcast was cooking something up. Netflix has been in the marketplace. Mindful of what they were doing, I thought if we priced low, it would actually, one, make it a little bit more difficult for them pricing-wise, and secondly, it would give us a bit of a competitive advantage in terms of signing subs. I also was well aware that we were launching with very little original content. The Mandalorian was, and, and High School Musical were right. two of them. I think we had five original pieces of content, and it would take time as it turns out, it took more time because of the pandemic to fill that pipeline with enough original content to justify more pricing. As I said yesterday on the earnings call, the price was taken up by $3 from $7.99 to $10.99 just recently, and we had a de minimis, de minimis um, churn in subs, which says that now that we've fueled that pipeline with more original content, and the consumer is also, I believe, getting more used to using streaming as a, as a primary source of material, that there is pricing uh, leverage, that we have pricing leverage, particularly as we continue to invest in but our But you have moved away. Franchises. I mean, when it started, as you said, you were very focused on obtaining subs as quickly as possible. You did that. You seem to be moving away from that now. Not seem to. You are. I mean, you're not talking about sub growth in the same way that you were certainly two years ago or three years ago. Um, you're talking now about profitability well, and about cutting cost to get to that profit. Well, I think one of the things that happened was we, we, we got a little bit maybe intoxicated by our own sub-growth. We said 60 to 90 million subs in well, five years. so did years. investors, Bob, we blew through that, that. That, that took the stock up enormously when you kept exceeding yeah. those until suddenly everybody starts saying, 
is this business ever really going to generate cash? Well, but before that, we blew through that in a year, and yeah. suddenly everybody was on board with this meteoric subrise. Right. And, and that it would continue. Others and, and, followed and you look, into the market as well, though, at fairly we, low price points. And we points. leaned into that because it seemed like that was the primary metric that we'd be measured by. Now, we also said at the time we'd be profitable in five years, which coincidentally is the end of 2024. We reiterated that yesterday on the call. So now as we've looked to basically becoming profitable and figured out how do we do that, it's clear to us that we do have to continue to grow subs, but it's not just about that. We have to have the right pricing. I talked yesterday about promotion. We have to have the right marketing. We have to have the right content. And if you go back to the structure that we put in place, which is a direct linkage between the creative side and the distribution side, there, I, there is a, more, a greater likelihood that we will have the right content. They'll make choices because they're accountable for delivering that profitability. Right. All understood. Uh, I, wanted, I want to actually ask a couple of questions specific to that that you discussed yesterday. You said on the call you're going to lean into franchises. You've been too aggressive in promotion. What does that mean? Well, we're sitting in front of this yeah. you know, lovely poster. Um, this company possesses and has made some of the all-time great franchises. The five um, highest grossing movies of all time came from this company. Two of them, by the way, from Jim Cameron, Avatar. Uh, and obviously Marvel has contributed to that as well. Uh, these are um, stories, I guess you'd call them, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, are very valuable globally, uh, that are leverageable across multiple businesses of ours, um, that um, have, a, have a long life. They, you know, they, Avatar 1 was just on Disney+, Plus, did extremely well. You look at the movies that we made years ago, that are still performing extremely well on new platforms because there's a, you know, we say they're, they're evergreen in some form, but because of the audiences that we make them for, and that audience is right. constantly being regenerated, literally new totally. generations. Totally, but do you pull away from general entertainment, though, under this new guise where you're trying to obviously save some money? Look, I like general entertainment in the sense that there's a lot of quality there, and in fact, we make a lot. The Bear is a great example of that, or Old Man, what FX makes for us, what Searchlight makes for us, with, you just look at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, we want to curate that more aggressively. When I say that, that's primarily because in order for us to be more profitable as a company in this business, we have to reduce our expenses. We talked about that yesterday. In order to do that, you have to make some choices. I happen to believe because general entertainment is not as differentiated. Mm-hmm. And look, there are seven or eight platforms in the streaming business alone that are in general entertainment. That's a tough business to be in competitively. And it's it's, it's not our strongest suit. Our but strongest do you worry suit, about churn going up as a result of not providing perhaps as broad an array of programming? Well, I think there's a way to balance that. Um, we're going to lean even more into Disney and Marvel and Pixar and Star Wars and, and Avatar, of course. And we've had higher returns on those businesses over the years anyway. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, adding to that, augmenting that with some form of I'll call more curated general entertainment is what we would likely do. Um, yesterday, you know, you talked about, sorry for all my different notes here, $3 billion in non-sports content You get to take cuts. notes. I don't have to get You just notes. have to give me the answers. That's all you get to do. <laughs> $3 billion in non-sports content cuts. Um, so that's a lot. What, what is that? Where does those cuts come from, and how do you maintain quality when you're cutting $3 well, billion we, in non-sports content? We can achieve that. I'm confident of that. Uh, first of all, we talked about volume some in general entertainment, we have to look really hard at how much we've made and what's really worked. 
And now that we are even more focused on delivering profitability, uh, we have to be, I think, more discerning in terms of basically what we say yes to. In addition, you know, technology is interesting in, when it, as a tool in, I'll call it the creator's hands or the artist's hands, extremely powerful. You look at what Jim Cameron's been able to do with technology and Avatar, what Pixar's been able to do over the years, special effects by Marvel. When you see Ant-Man, you'll be blown away by it, for instance. That's great because we're adding more quality to the screen. It's also added a lot of expense. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an opportunity to really look at what it costs us to produce everything and reduce, particularly in not only a more challenging time, but in a time where we owe our shareholders better returns on that business. Yeah. Um, well, then when you said, though, for example, that linear channels and movie theaters can provide monetization capability, again, to this point, are you going back to the older model where you're actually going to produce things for other for other distribution models, other distribution schemes? Is that something that perhaps should never have not have been pushed aside? Look, I think we've all, including me, spent a lot of time in the last four years essentially you know, writing the obituary of sorts of linear television. I, you know, I, I plead guilty to that. And movies. Now, movies were, had significant displacement because of the pandemic. Uh, but you know, recent... Um, uh, data will show you, or recent experience will show you, that it's not, those platforms are not gone. They actually still are somewhat relevant. Avatar, over $2.1 billion yeah. in global sales, billion dollars. That's from a legacy platform. So it says to us that you know, maybe we were leaning a little bit away from that too much. Now, again, we, a lot of it was done because of the pandemic. Now that people are going back to movie theaters, we have to look carefully at how we're bringing movies to market with an eye toward still using what is a valuable platform for this company. Same thing in, in linear TV. We can put programming on ABC and on FX and on the Disney Channel and on our streaming service and have a completely different, you know, attract a completely unduplicated audience. So we're going to use those platforms. I'm not suggesting that linear television is, is um, uh, not imperiled. I think it's, it I is. Mean, no, I think it, it is. The it, numbers speak. We, the numbers we talked speak about for that themselves. You're down five percent in revenues in the linear cable business. Right. Sixteen percent in earnings. Obviously, I assume there's fewer ESPN subs this quarter than there were last quarter or last year. Well, I don't know. About, I don't know about this quarter. Okay. By the way, um, year over year, though. Uh, the recent, we know where it's recent going. sub experience at ESPN has been fairly decent. But yes, it's gone down since we started. Of course. You started interviewing me. It's gone We've down had this conversation for a very long time. But it's still profitable, still important. And look, I think... And you're not going to get ESPN. You're not, going to, you're not going to spin it off. You made that very clear yesterday. I did. I did. You see it as a part of this company. I do. And yet, do you a, see it? By the way, as long, as long as it continues to be profitable, and it too needs to find a path that basically enables it to continue to deliver the kind of results that we'd like it to well, deliver. Well, you said you're going to be more selective in terms of sports rights. What does that mean? Well, again, it means saying no to things that don't deliver the value and saying yes to things that do. We're, we're, we're very grateful and pleased that we have a new long-term NFL deal, extremely important, with more, basically more um, product than yep. we had before, you know, more games postseason, the Super Bowl, for instance. We've got great, great rights, uh, license agreements in college sports. We have an NBA negotiation coming up. That's an, How's that going to go? Well, it's I mean, a, you're at $1.4 billion, I think, a year. People say that could double. It's a very, very valuable property for this company. It's a great sport. And not only is there a lot of volume, there's a lot of quality, and it would be a priority of ours to extend our deal with them. 
Um, but with sports rights going up, Bob, as they seem to, and with the number of people paying you each month for the linear product, I mean, at what point does it get out of balance and you say, you know what, we've got to take this thing fully over the top? Well, I think the model ultimately will change. I think it will become an over-the-top model. I said yesterday, I don't know when that will be. We've had conversations about it. I actually think as a so-called over-the-top model, a streaming model, it's a will be a phenomenal product for the sports fan because right. it will give them more flexibility. They have to pay a lot for it. Well, I think pricing is obviously something we have to look at very carefully. And, you know, a combination of, or balance of pricing and how many subs do you need to have it make, make sense in terms of the bottom line. Um, so one day ESPN will be sort of largely a streaming service? One day. But that day is not here. Do you no. know when that day comes? Does your... Whoever succeeds, you're going to know. Like, when do you, do you just see it coming? Like, okay, that's it. We can't afford this anymore. We've got to try something else. I think if you else. do the math, you've obviously done the math. Yes. I should turn the question on to, to, uh, back uh, to you. If you do the math, you have to, there's an inevitability to it, I believe. But I can't say when. It will, and we're not going to do something that's either precipitous or reckless in any way. We'll time it right. Uh, speaking of math, I want to get to some, some numbers. I mean, the company has not been generating a lot of free cash flow. In fact, your negative free cash flow a significant amount recently. You only did $1.5 billion last year. Is that a concern to you at all? Well, most of it has to do with COVID. We look at what happened in the March of 2020. Other than streaming, every one of our businesses basically shut down. There were right. no live sports, no movie going. Our park shut down. Our cash flow basically stopped. Ceased. Although this year you're not going to generate a lot of free cash either. No, we're still recovering from that, and we're still uh, obviously um, losing money on streaming. And obviously that's one of the reasons why we have to turn that around. But as I, we said on the call yesterday, we're going to get to a point where we're going to, we're going to um, recommend to the board a dividend at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. That suggests some confidence in our cash flow directory and how uh, we not only generate capital, but how we allocate capital. How do you have confidence? And, you know, when you put out a number of $5.5 billion in cost cutting, uh, a billion of which is already underway, what gives you the confidence you'll get there to the extent you can say, hey, we are going to reinstate a dividend? Well, not all the $5.5 billion in cost cutting will hit us right away right. because some of the content is baked in. We've made commitments to it. But we're starting today to... Uh, to achieve that number and to achieve the number that we set on what we call SGNA general expenses. Uh, so a combination of that, a combination of continued recovery from the pandemic. We talked about our parks and resorts results as a for instance, it was a phenomenal business for us, higher margins, uh, I think real growth potential in the future, um, including our cruise ship business where we launched a new ship and that business has been Fantastic. When you look at recovery, by the way, it's an amazing story. I mean, we have so many things we haven't yet gotten to, including the parks. But on the, we think we we we, look. We obviously have confidence in our ability to grow free cash flow over the we'll call it next five years or so. Some of that will come with obviously turning a business that has not been profitable into a business that's profitable streaming. Right. Which again, by the end of 2024, it will be. That's what we said yesterday. I, I heard but you. I haven't, uh, cha- haven't changed my opinion on that today. <laughs> Good. I'm glad uh, less than 24 hours hasn't changed. In 2024, there was something else coming up, and that's Hulu. You didn't get any uh, questions about it yesterday on the call, but um, that could be a $9 billion bill to you if my parent company puts their interest to you as they are able to. Um, if you were to buy that, that would take your leverage up significantly. Some question whether that would be a good strategy. How do you view it? Well, our, our, first of all, our leverage is not a huge concern to us right now, not the concern that others would suggest that it is. 
That said, um, we are intent on, over time, reducing our debt. Um, well, you have a lot of fixed costs. I mean, you get up to leverage of four times, let's say. People do get concerned. You have well, a high we, fixed we, cost business. I would business. imagine that would be at a time when our other businesses are starting to generate more free cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd rather not get more specific about that because not, we're not really, you know, we're not prepared to give any forward statements in that regard, for instance. But um, I, like I've talked about general entertainment being undifferentiated. Hulu, by the way, is a very successful platform. And I think a good consumer proposition, but we're everything's on the table right now. So I'm not going to I'm not going to spec- I'm not going to speculate might- about whether we're a buyer or a seller of it. But I I obviously have suggested that um, I'm concerned about undifferentiated general entertainment, and in the particularly in the competitive landscape that we're operating in, and we're going to look at it very objectively, so expansively. Uh, if there is an uh, if there's an opportunity, for example, then to potentially sell your interest to Comcast, if Brian Roberts were interested, that's a conversation You're you would have. Being a witness there a little bit, I said we're open minded. We will be open minded. I just want to make sure because I think the assumption has been that you guys will buy what you don't already own of Hulu. And I think I'm suggesting that isn't necessarily the case. Okay, um, it's not that far away from kind of starting to make a decision, right? Why it's on my mind. <laughs> Understood. Something else that I don't know if it's on your mind or not is. Nelson Peltz. Um, we obviously had him on some time ago, taking a lot of shots uh, at the company, although you seem to have met some of his objectives even very recently with your announcements. But I wonder, Bob, why engage at all? You know, you've got so much on your plate. A proxy fight is distracting by its very nature. Um, why not just say, oh, he's one guy, put him on the board and over with? Well, I have to ask the question is really why, not why not. Um, a number of people suggested, like, why not? Why not just let him on the board? Yeah. I think you have to start with our board, which he's been quite critical of. In fact, he's been critical of one member of our board. We have a very diverse board, diverse in gender, diverse in ethnicity, diverse in business background. And each one of those board members comes to the boardroom with very relevant business background. You look at Mary Barra and Mark Parker and Safra Katz running big companies, global brands, complex companies in a complex world. You look at um, Calvin McDonald from Lululemon, you know, an, an upstart of sorts, retail brand. Um, Amy Chang and Carolyn Everson and Francis D'Souza come out of the tech world. Um, Mel Lagomasino, who is a private we- in private wealth management, probably manages more money than Nelson Peltz, wakes up every morning thinking about her investors. For right. And she brings that into the boardroom. And then there's Michael Froman, who Nelson has, has come after. Yes, he's come right. after him specifically because with the universal proxy, that kind of is the easiest way to do. But, but Give me more at, votes than him. But let's look at Michael Froman as a Disney board member. His experience at Citibank, he's a vice chairman of MasterCard. He was U.S. trade representative in the Obama administration, someone that I spoke with during that period of time about global trade initiatives, global regulation, um, a number of other issues that were extremely relevant to us and at Disney and continues to be. So we have we have a good board. We have a board, by the way, that holds us accountable, that represents shareholder interests well. Uh, that challenges us all the time, that actually and served me very well when I was CEO in my prior tenure with, with good ideas, with, with, uh, with input that had real value to the shareholders of this so company. You so even, you start yeah. with, there is not a need. Plus, he has not articulated either a vision or even ideas 
that are of particular value to us. Now, some he has, but we were already working on those. When I came in, we talked about cost-cutting right away. We reorganized the company. We've recommitted to profitability and streaming. So where, where is the need? And, and either, by the way, just from a shareholder perspective, where is the need? In addition, obviously, I have a, a, a big job right now yeah. uh, uh, to contend with. And focusing my time, my energy, and the time and energy of the entire team is extremely important. Disruption from a force like that is not something that would be healthy to the shareholders of this company. You surprised that Ike Perlmutter, somebody obviously, I mean, you bought Marvell, has been so involved with trying to get pelts on the board. Is there a feud between the two of you, perhaps, that's fueling this? Well, I think that's a, that's a curious dynamic that um, I think you know, our filings indicate that both Ike and Nelson uh, were working together to try to encourage the board or convince the board to put Nelson on the board. They have a relationship that dates back quite some time. Uh, we bought Marvel in 2009. I promised Ike a job that he would continue to run Marvel after that. Not forever, necessarily, but after that. Uh, and um, in 2015, he was intent on, um, on firing Kevin Foggy, who was running Marvel's studio or the movie making at the time. And, um, and I thought that was a mistake and stepped in to prevent that from happening. Uh, I think Kevin is an incredibly, incredibly talented executive. The, you know, the Marvel track record speaks for itself. And so I moved the movie-making operation of Marvel out from under Ike into the movie studio under, so under that, Alan that Horn. created some ill will, you think? Well, you'd have to, you'd have to ask Ike about that, but uh, I, let's put it this way. He was not happy about it, and I think that unhappiness um, exists today. Yeah, and I, you know, is what what the link is between that and Nelson and his relationship? I think that's something that you can speculate about. I won't. I want to end on a couple of quick questions, Bob, um, because there's things we haven't gotten to. Um, the animation business, which has been so key to the success of this company for so long, the creative engine. I mean, the Pixar deal, which sort of reignited that. Do you feel like that has fallen off? I can't remember the last Pixar movie that really generated a lot of conversation. Perhaps because some have gone direct to consumer, but also others that have just not done as well. Well, it's interesting because Turning Red would be the last one that did well, uh, but it was a direct to streaming, uh, direct to consumer film, nominated for an Academy Award, by the way. And it's interesting because I looked at numbers recently. It's one of the most streamed movies of the last year. So I, I think there has been success. It's just not the kind of success generated when a movie is taken out to box office. By the way, Encanto from Disney Animation, also very, very successful film. He actually won an Academy Award. Right. So, so you don't feel like the animation we, I, business is, is, is not up to par? No, I think well, we had a couple of, we, we had a, a couple of uh, creative misses, I'll say. Um, that's the nature of the business. Uh, one at Pixar, one at Disney Animation. Um, you know, we've all learned, for those of us who have been in the creative side of the business a long time, you know, you have to move past that. You've got to process failure successfully. I love the slate that we have coming up. I spent a day at Pixar a um, week and a half ago and reviewed a number of projects. Talked yesterday on the call about a, a Toy Story 5, a Toy Story sequel. Uh, they have great original movies in, in development, and, and including one called Elemental, which is coming out, which is brilliant. Same thing at Disney Animation, but they're also going to make a Frozen sequel and a Zootopia sequel. Uh, they were actually working on a Moana television series for Disney+. Plus. So I think we've got talent. 
we've got the talent that we need, and we've got a pipeline that I think is really creative, and, and I'm, I'm confident that animation will continue to be an important business for this company for um, a long time. I have to wrap up, but I, I do want to come back to succession. Um, you've obviously indicated it is your intent to stay the two years that, that, uh, that was outlined when you joined. How involved are you going to be in this succession process? Are the four people who are now running the key businesses here the logical potential successors? Well, first of all, it's a board-led process. Mark Parker, who is the incoming chairman of the board, is chairing a succession committee. In fact, we have a meeting tomorrow on that. Um, their work is already underway. I will be involved with them, but again, it's a board-led process. Right. Well, what is your um, role going to be? Well, I think, uh, obviously, having had the job for quite a long time, I think you know, my input is valuable to them about, one, what are the qualities that are necessary and that the CEO of the Walt Disney Company should have, for instance. We've already talked about that. I'll help them assess candidates, obviously, but it'll be their decision. I'll, you know, I'll have a I have one vote as a board member. Right. Are you going to look decision. outside? Do you think they'll look outside as they'll well? Be, they're going to be expensive. You guys don't typically go outside. Well, as, look, the, when I was in the process in 2004, 2005, the board looked inside at and, me and, and outside. outside. Yeah. Uh, and, and we considered outside candidates when we made the decision about Bob. And I'm, I'm certain they will do that again. Back to that decision about Bob. Do you regret it? Um, are there things that have informed that decision that will help you in terms of making the next decision on your successor? You know, this is a big, complex company and a hard company to run even in good times. Um, we thought we, were made, we made the right decision when we chose Bob back in uh, 2020. The board obviously decided uh, recently in November that he was not the right person for the job and they made a change. Um, I, I think there are some with anything that any big decision that you make, particularly if it doesn't work out right, you should learn from you know what went wrong, and that's something the board has discussed. But I'm not going to get into. You're details. not going to get into what went wrong or what you may not have seen properly. I mean, the guy was working at the company for a long time. He shadowed you. You took endless trips to China together, for we did. example. We did. No, I'm not going to get into that. All right. Doesn't seem like a great place to end, but I think we've got I mean, to. You can change the subject. I can. <laughs> you, you have the right. I do. Well, well all right. One final question because it's come up. That might have been a mistake. Our, it was part. probably a mistake. Our exit interview, um, you know, you were talking about the reasons why you were leaving. And one of them, you said to me, um, I wasn't listening as well as I used to. You know, I was coming to the conclusion before I listened. And I've thought of that a few times because people have mentioned it to me. They said, well, is Bob working on his listening? We should put that in context. I think I, I said, and I, I was serious about it, that I felt over time, um, because of all the experience I gained and, and over those years, and, and the fact that it was a relatively successful run, that I got overconfident in my own instincts, my own, my, yes. uh, you know, my, my own decision-making, and that it, I thought it caused me to be a little bit more dismissive of other people's ideas. And I think that's, uh, it was a healthy, what do you call it, self-analysis of some it sort. It was. People enjoyed um, hearing that. I had the benefit of being gone for 11 months. It was a great 11 months. It was a refreshing, rejuvenating 11 months. Um, so I sound like I long for those, that time again in my life, which maybe that's, there's some truth to that. Uh, I, you know, I come back with a lot of energy, a lot of passion, I think a lot of self-awareness right now. I have a great team of people in place. I you know, extended some of their, um, their responsibilities yesterday. I'm obviously confident in their ability to take on more. I've, I'm an optimist at heart. I feel great about 
being here, and I, felt, I feel great about where the company is today and where I believe we'll be able to take it. Perfect place to end. Much better. better. Much better. better. Better place to end. All right. <laughs> Ending, but not over. I hope we'll do this again soon. Bob, thank you for having us. Thank, thank you for being here. Bob Iger, back to you guys. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, David, thanks so much. Thoughts, Jim? Well, look, I think that it's a very well thought out, as if he pretty much knew what had to be done, as you, David mentioned about in the book, uh, that, that basically Bob was saying he didn't listen well, but it sure did listen here. He listened to all the critics. I think he listened to everything that needed to be done, and he upended everything that he uh, felt was in the way of great profitability. And I think profitability had been lost here in the, in the heyday of, of, of numbers, as he said, when all we cared about was how great the numbers were. They lost track of the numbers that people wanted. It was the bottom line not the number of subscribers. So I don't know. I feel very good. My Chapel Trust owns it. I liked everything he said. And I think that the stock is going to continue on this path if he continues to execute, as he clearly did even just in a few you know, just a few weeks of numbers. Right, right. Actually, I've seen a couple desk notes, uh, B of A, for example, saying actually increases conviction in a long Netflix play because this era of subs at all costs is ending. Yes, that's a great call. I mean, obviously what I think is this that uh, Bob felt that there was way too much money being spent and not getting any sort of pickup from it. Even if they just go this, well, a little bit better in this current trend line, uh, then they're going to make a lot of money. But I think, yeah, takeaway is that Netflix's business is, is terrific. But let's understand that without really point blank saying that JPEG didn't know what he was doing, I think that, that Bob felt it was just completely wayward in a very fast, very, very fast period. Uh, clearly the wrong man. And, uh, this means the right man. Yeah. Uh, certainly talked about Parks up 21, uh, punching above its weight in the words of B of A yesterday. And we got Hilton, for example, today with another double beat, yep. guiding in line, saying they are not seeing the slowdown. No, if anything, they're seeing uh, you can't get in, basically. The cruises, too. I mean, the cruises are doing great. I liked everything. And I would have to believe that Nelson Peltz, who was mentioned, and I think somewhat critically, frankly, given the fact that I thought these two men at one time were friends, uh, has to like him. Why don't you bring him in? Why don't you bring him in to find out in an instant reaction to what David just got with Bob? Nelson, is this one of those hey, where you Jim. just declare victory? How are you doing? Okay, Jim, how are you? Well, my Chapel <laughs> Trust owns Disney. I like what I heard. I really like you what look, I heard, Nelson. These are exciting times. You know, Jim, my dad once told me that you can only win once. This was a great win for all the shareholders. Management at Disney now plans to do everything that we wanted them to do. We wish the very best to Bob, his management team, the board. We will be watching, we will be rooting, and the proxy fight is over. Yes. Thank you for declaring victory in a gracious way. Uh, this was a huge win for you. I bet you, I know you don't typically talk about it, but I'm going to ask you, how much money did you make? 
Well, who, who's counting? <laughs> All right. Well, I just uh, the viewers. The viewers want to count. But, uh, everybody made to- money. Jimmy, everybody made money. Well, that's the best way to put it. And I know that you got previously before this, you were friends. I think there's no reason to think you can't be again. That's just my view of things. I, I, I agree. I, I'll pick up lunch or breakfast the next time. I promise. <laughs> well, good. Carl, what do you think? It sounds there's some graciousness is, is here. It, is it the shortest fight you've ever seen? <laughs> well, how about it's the uh, W is a W. Nelson, uh, great job, and I know that uh, I wish you well. And obviously, Bob Iger, maybe you call him tomorrow. We'll wish him happy birthday. I, I'm definitely going to do it. I didn't realize it until I watched just now that it's his birthday. I might even send him a gift. <laughs> Well, there you go. Anyway, look, thanks for calling in. The proxy fight is over. And uh, Bob Iger delivered for everybody, including Nelson Peltz. Thank you, Nelson, for calling in. Okay. Have a great day, Jim. Okay, Bye-bye. you too. It's, it's actually pretty interesting. Graciousness and victory. Yes, that, that's a great element. Um, because to the degree we see activism elsewhere, I wonder how much we'll see other companies who already had things in the pipeline that the activists realize and we can get some kinds of resolutions. Boy, am I glad you brought that up. Mark Benioff, you know, I texted him yesterday. Now you got five. Five people whom you could argue maybe love the product but are not happy with the way a man who built the company. This, you know, remember, Bob Iger did not build the company. man who built the company, fabulous success. I don't know. I mean, is there? It, it's very hard to have, I think, to love all five. Uh, because in the end, don't you have to like go to work and do a job instead of just spending all your time trying to appease people? So, Carl, I don't know. I, uh, Salesforce is up a lot since yeah, this well, started. They Maybe got, they one got of Benny those people tweeting about AI uh, along with everybody Einstein, else. Einstein. Einstein. Uh, um, crazy week. I do wish that some of these people. Look, I, I always say it's not about friends, but it's about money. But I, I do. There are some people who, many, many years. Uh, they become friends, and I think that there should be loss in the shuffle years that Mark Benioff built a great company. Uh, you would think that he inherited a company. You'd think from listening that he's shaped back. You know, he, got, he took in this great company, and he destroyed it within a period of nine months, and my God, how way when you pointed somebody else, and it's just, no, I'm going to make a serious statement here. Mark Benioff, not a clown. <laughs> David, how did that call with Peltz uh, ring in the halls of Burbank just now? You know, I, I, Bob left, um, and I tried calling him. I didn't get him. I would love to bring him back. I'm sure he's smiling. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense in many ways. And Jim's, Jim's been saying this. I mean, Peltz got a lot. Nelson got a lot of what he was looking for. Yeah, he's an empty chair now, unfortunately. We're gonna, right. Maybe we'll get Bob back and just see. But I, I don't know that we'll be able to catch up with him. But, uh, you know, you've been saying this, Jim. I mean, he got a lot of what he wanted, including, of course, most importantly, and I said this earlier, the stock price going up so much. Um, and so, you know, there you are. I think just you, kind of something that you almost expect, but rarely happens. You know, Jim, rarely happens. And so uh, I'm sure a relief, frankly, because as much as Mr. Iger may say, you know, this is the board we love and I, I'm not distracted, it's a distraction. There is no doubt about it. Right. And as we, of course, saw there's plenty on his plate. Yes, but it would have been, a, you know, Nelson was obviously gracious. When I listened to uh, Bob, it, yeah. I think he must have felt that Nelson's not going to stop no matter what, because I, I, I dissent, detected a bit of, uh, of let's say, um, let's say bristling, and uh, Nelson didn't do that. So maybe this is over in a positive way. 
meaning... Well, I mean, I think that... The, the issue that, of a board seat is done? Yeah, it's done. It does need a board seat. There's a win. Uh, I didn't know whether... Look, obviously... Bob didn't know that Nelson was to drop it. He didn't have to he really emphasize that Nelson was not needed. Uh, he obviously also didn't know that Nelson was calling in saying, a W, I won. And, and so I have to wonder, Carl, whether uh, Bob Iger couldn't walk it back a little. These two men, gentlemen, knew each other, know each other quite well. Right. So I think he might want to walk it back a little, given the fact that there was nothing. Nelson did not say, you know what, I mean... Give me a break. It was the market. You know, Nelson was embraced. So maybe there's a chance that Bob's birthday will be wished. <laughs> David, I'll tell you, it's it's not exactly the show we thought we were going to no, get at I, nine. Ralph Lauren's up a lot, no. David. <laughs> Salesforce, David. <laughs> What's Remember up a lot? Salesforce? Salesforce, I know. I, yeah, speaking of activists there, I don't even know how you keep track of them all, let alone settle with all of them. Although uh, I don't. Listen, Loeb and, and Benioff, I think, are, are, in, are in contact. You know, I, I, I've certainly gotten a feel that that's the case for quite some time, perhaps. But Elliot is still the key issue for, for, your, for right. Mr. Benioff. But in this one, you know, uh, interesting show, Carl, to have uh, Peltz call in like that and break that on our news. Thank you for doing that, uh, Jim and Nelson. That How about was great. owning the story? Remember when you first broke in and you're Ederson, you had to own the story? I mean, Dave, you own 110% of the story. What uh, can I say? I mean, you know, in, in cable TV, they say you got to create moments. There you uh, go. Today was a moment. Oh, my. I mean, it's the most important company in the world in terms of what people think about. Why, why couldn't he have case. done it? Jim, why couldn't he have done it? Why couldn't he have done it while, while Bob was still in the chair? Couldn't you have arranged that? And then, I, you know, we could have gotten the immediate reaction. As you That's were, the only thing. as you, we were, we were working on this, I guess, while you were talking. Um, <laughs> hey, we're, we're putting it together in real time, David, as you know. I know. David, I, I mean, know. I'm I mean come on. Like, it was two minutes. I just, he, was like, he walked away two well, minutes ago. I said, well, all right. We didn't I said, think of it in the uh, empty coming on. I guess I got. Well, I mean. <laughs> Hey, what a shot. He's showing the What's here? Uh, I, I mean, just in real time, we break stories. And you broke stories, and then we got the... Remember, he did not say, can I get that guy back? I really want to just say, we're going full speed ahead anyway. He didn't. So there was, you know, I think there could be uh, love, not love lost. Uh, absolutely amazing, Jim. You want to do 60 seconds on the overall market? I mean, there's a ton of earnings we never got to. Well, can I just say, this is a market that embraces the good. And I'm going to talk about a mass name. Let's look at PepsiCo. They did a fabulous job. They are real blue chip. They raised the dividend. They beat the numbers. They raised. Boom. We maybe we're, This is why I say we're in a bull market. Good news is rewarded with good stock. Prices. The other great interesting point on Pepsi is saying they're done with price increases Isn't for the that year. Terrific. That the, the increases they had in mind are basically baked in. Yeah. And maybe suggesting the back half of the year, LaGuardia talk, talks about some maybe worse uh, elasticities in consumer. Right. People love the stuff, no matter what price. Now, we should have asked uh, Nelson about Unilever's, the board of Unilever. Unilever's saying, you know, we got to keep yep. raising it. Yep. I, I look at PepsiCo and say they're going to rene- you know, they're renegotiating some of the contracts, but it's really going their way. Uh, good quarters are good quarters. Right. So, David, are we getting you back tomorrow? A little red-eye action? What's going to happen? No way, man. Only only Kramer does red eyes. I don't know how. I'm, uh, I mean, come on. Travel day. Uh, now, I'm going to be, you know what? I will, obviously, we're going to share a lot of the interview that, that took place here on our air throughout the rest of our day. So many interesting things in there, you know, including, I think, new comments around Hulu. That's not unimportant. Yes, that's new. Um, that so we're going to share a lot of that today. So you'll be, 
you'll be seeing me. And then, uh, Carl, I'm going to be back here tomorrow morning from our L.A. bureau. So I'll be on with you guys for, for our show, but, uh, but not together until Monday. Yeah, David, I wanted to ask you, one of the things that, he, that Bob Iger dismissed entirely was the balance sheet as being maybe not as perfect. Is something happening? I don't know. I mean, maybe if they get all the costs out, then the balance sheet is dramatically improved. You know, that's a good point. And I and obviously you always wish you had followed up. I wanted to for a minute there and I didn't because I agree with you, Jim. It's, you know, maybe he sees things that perhaps others aren't um, in terms of. Well, I did say, you know, four times leverage with a high fixed cost company is not uh, is not easy. Um, it's a good question you're asking. I don't know the answer. And, you know, but he doesn't seem, as he said, he's not as concerned about it, he said, as as others seem to be. Um, I'm not quite sure why. Uh, maybe well, because he thinks he's going to be important. able to succeed, obviously, in all this cost cutting. Yeah. Well, I mean, David, I mean, one of the things, David, that I was quite concerned about is Hulu. And exactly what you said, the money in, money out. So that was fantastic. Get some clarity. Well, on an issue, as Great David job. said, that never came up on the call last night. Not at all. Spent more time on ESPN no. being broken out. Yeah. And David got it. Yeah. Uh, David, a lot more from you later on in the morning. Fantastic. Uh, we'll see you later on. What a day. Uh, Thanks, and that was awesome teamwork. What teamwork. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing, Jim. When we, that was great. When we come back, a lot more on Disney up 4%. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.